Well, let's open up our Bible to Matthew chapter 28, everybody. I don't know if baptisms get you pumped up, but I really love this stuff. I love seeing people get saved, and I figured this would be a great day for us to talk about what is the point of our church, what is our mission, why are we even doing this, why are you here right now? So we want to look at the mission statement that Jesus Christ has given us in Matthew chapter 28, and I want to encourage everybody... Um, grab a Bible and open up there. Maybe if you don't even have a Bible, I don't know if you could raise your hand if we have. Do we have more Bibles? Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. And Jesus gives us a real clear mission uh, here in this, in this passage that I want us to look at and I want to make sure we all understand the mission and hopefully we'll be inspired to do the mission. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And I think it'll make sense to you why we're talking about this today. And really the question to ask yourself is, why do you come to church? Why are you here? What is the purpose of this? See, I mean, for a lot of us, we grew up maybe going to church, or then some of us just started coming because that seemed like the right thing to do, or somebody in, invited us. But, but why do we come to church? And even more specifically, why do you choose which church you're going to go to? What's your criteria? What's, what's the decision-making detail that's going to send you to that church? Are the donuts awesome at that church? What's, what's going on? See? I mean, I, let's get real. There's people. This is our second service at this new building. There's people in this room right now who are checking us out. They're, they're church shopping here today, right? They're deciding if they want to buy into Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach. Well, how are you going to make that decision of what makes a church a good church? Uh, if we learned last week that Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of Hades can't conquer it. And so if we learn that we should then invest our lives into the church because it's a sure thing, it's going to be built. Then what church should you attach yourself to for the rest of your life? Is this a good church? How do you even decide what a good church is. Well, a good church is going to do the mission that Jesus gave us to do. And that's what we see here in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So follow along with me as I read here. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, so this is after his death, after his resurrection, he meets again with his disciples. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is a mission statement from Jesus Christ to his disciples after his resurrection. These are like his parting words, his final thoughts. And this is what he commissions them to go and do. And notice how he starts out with an introduction. Look back at verse 18. I don't know if you've got a red-letter Bible that makes the words of Jesus red, but Jesus is talking there in verse 18, and it says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the Lord. He has all authority. That's what it says right there. Jesus is the boss. Whether you want him to be or not, Jesus is calling the shots for the world that he created. And so he, this is an official commissioning. 
Jesus is sending out his disciples like a king commissioning some of his soldiers, some of his servants out into his kingdom. And he says, I've got all the authority, and so here's what I want you to go and do. And he gives them then what we call the Great Commission, which is really the great omission for most Christians these days, right? Because what he has commanded us to do, few people who call themselves Christians actually do. Because what he says here is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he gives some more clarification. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why I kept saying that right there. And then we're going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then here's some encouragement. Hey, I might be all authority. I might be the Lord of heaven and earth. But when you go out, I go with you. That's what he wants you to know. And he also wants you to see here that, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, were these disciples that he's talking to right there, are they still around today at the end of the age? No. The 11 disciples, are they still alive? Anybody met Peter, James, John? Are those guys, are they here today? Are you guys here? No. They're not here. So when he says, even to the end of the age, who is he talking to, my friends? He's talking to you here today. If you're going to be a part of this church, if if he's... If you're going to submit to his lordship, then the main verb, the main command that he gives you here, let's build a little chart here if you're taking notes. The main command he gives is make disciples. That's the main verb that jumps out here in the Greek language. And it's, it's the word we get mathematics from, matheteo. It, it's the idea of a learner, a learner who has a teacher. And we are called, the disciples who have been made by Jesus Christ are now called to go and reproduce themselves, to go and make more disciples. Now maybe you can see right there why I, why I call it the great omission, because if you are in a room of people like this who might consider themselves Christians, and you were to ask them, who here, I'm not asking you to raise your hand right now, I'm just throwing it out, who here has ever made a disciple where you led somebody to Jesus Christ, they repented of their sin, they put their faith in him, and then you started helping them live a new life? That's the command for all Christians, and yet how many people in this room could raise their hand and say they've actually done it? See, most people could not. At least most people that I have talked to, maybe we've got a a super bunch that showed up here this morning, but I I know a lot of you guys, I know a lot of the people that go to church. I've never led anybody to Christ. In fact, I don't really have a plan to lead anybody to Christ. In fact, I don't really pray about leading anybody to Christ. I don't try to start conversations with the intention of leading anybody to Christ, and I don't follow up with people like maybe someday they're going to be led to Christ. So no, pastor, I don't make disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, that's got to end today right now. Because if he's the Lord of heaven and earth and he has all authority, he has commanded, if you're going to say you're a follower of Jesus, then here's what he's commanded you. Make disciples. Reproduce yourself. Invest your life into others' lives that will be passed on throughout all of history for 2,000 years so that even people on the far coast of a continent not yet discovered on a Sunday morning in January of 2015, even those people will be disciples because it's been passed down to the ends of the earth, to the end of the age. Are you a part of the link of passing on being a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
Now, under Make Disciples, there's three participles of how we're going to do this, okay? And the first one is what we did today, baptizing. Notice it says Make Disciples, and then it says baptizing them, okay? So we got a little chart we're building. Big, big command, Make Disciples. Under that, baptizing. And hopefully we explain that. Did anybody get saved by getting dunked in this water here today? No, they got saved when they got placed into the death of Christ. And they rose again. And that's why they're excited to tell you now that Jesus has changed their life. And they're living in this new way. They're not the way that they used to. No, it's exciting because Jesus is doing something. See, that's salvation. So what we got to see is we got to see people get saved. That's how we're going to make disciples. We're going to have to have more people joining Team Jesus, more people declaring themselves to be Christians, but not just in our culturally accepted way where you can just say you're a Christian and do nothing. No, we're looking for people who are in Christ, new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Behold, look at them now. Jesus is there. We're looking for those kind of people, and when we identify them, we'll come and identify them here in front of the whole church, and we'll praise the Lord together that he's saving people. But that's not the end for these guys. Some of these guys are brand-new Christians. Well, now there's a lot of teaching that needs to happen. That's going to be our next participle that it uses to modify the main verb of make disciples. Main command, make disciples. Here's how you're going to do it. Well, you're going to baptize those disciples when they get saved. And then verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice a key word that might have jumped out to you there because I kind of put some inflection on it. All that I have commanded you. Is that how the Christian world is today? Oh, just give me more Bible. Oh, give me more Jesus. What did he command? Oh, you know, the Bible's good. You know, I like the stories. I like the historical events. You know what I really love? The commands. I just want to know them all. I just want to do them. Every single one. I got a list. Checking it twice. Right? I mean, where are those people? I want to meet those people. I long for those people. People who take what the Lord of heaven and earth says seriously. Where are those people? For real, though. Oh, you're going to teach? Oh, you're doing, what are you guys doing? You're doing church on Tuesday? What's going on at this church? Church on a Tuesday night? Wait, you're going to be teaching the commands of Jesus? Sign me up. What if there's a command I overlooked? What if I haven't heard that command before? That would be terrible, right? That's the way, I mean, that's the idea here. Which commands do you want to know? All of them right? Well, we've got two that are greatest. That's great. What are the rest? I want to learn every one. If Jesus has told me to do something, I want to do it. Why? Because he has authority over heaven and earth. He spoke the world into existence. He decided I would be born. He died on a cross for my miserable sin to save me. Man, if he says something to me, oh, I want to know what it is. I want to do what he says. I love Jesus. How many people like that do we know? How many people like that do we have here in this room? See, these are disciples. They're genuinely saved, and they have a passion now to learn from Jesus Christ, to do what he says. It's not just teaching them what he commands. It's teaching them to observe, and that just doesn't mean like, oh, they're looking at the commands as they pass them by on the way to more sin. No, it means they do what the commands say. Obedience is the expectation of the Christian life, according to the Lord of heaven and earth. He's looking for people who actually obey him. Make disciples, baptizing teaching, and then we got to go back up to the verse 19 right there at the beginning. It starts with go, therefore. That's the third participle. Go, or as you are going. See, now we're going to actually be going out with the intentionality to make more disciples. 
We're not just kind of aimlessly wandering through life. No, we're going with a purpose, with a plan, with a direction. No, people are moving here to Huntington Beach to start a church so we can see more people get baptized like we just did, and we want to see a bunch of disciples get made here. That's what we're going for. Now, this is the mission statement of the church. So if you go to a church, man, I hope they have a nice place to meet. I hope they have good stuff for your kids. I hope the worship doesn't sound terrible. I mean, it's brutal trying to worship Jesus to terrible music. I mean, we can all relate to that, right? I mean, I hope they got places to park. I hope that's not too high on your scale here with our church, right? But I mean, I hope the church has a lot of good stuff. I hope the church is doing everything it can to be all things to all men. But when it comes to the church that you're going to go to, let me put the criteria at the top. Does this church make disciples? Who's getting baptized? Who's getting taught? Who's going out? Where are the Jesus followers being reproduced? Is this, is this a factory? Where are the new Christians rolling off the line? That's your criteria for a church. And I've seen too many people miss this. Okay? Now, please don't miss this. Don't choose a church because it's close to your house. Don't choose a church because your friend goes there. No, the friend that you want to go to your church is Jesus Christ, see? And when he's at a church, here's what happens. People get saved at that church. Lives change at that church. People love the Bible, and they love to do what he says at that church. And disciples start going out into the world from that place. You've been to a church like that? Because if you haven't been to a church like that, you haven't been to a good church. We've got a lot of buildings with church on the sign outside. Not a lot of church going on on the inside, my friends. Make disciples. That's what the church is all about. Now, if you open up our bulletin, we have tried to make, everybody grab the bulletin and open it up. We've tried to make this statement right here a, uh, our mission statement. We're just trying to do here at this church what Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 say. And so do you see that little statement that's been in every one of our bulletins right there at the top left? Let's all read that together. Can we have like a, an awkward moment where we all read out loud? Ready, set, go. Start reading it. There it is. That's our mission statement. You just said it right there. We exist to do three things, reaching, teaching, and training. Or if we wanted to just use the word straight out of here, baptizing, teaching, and going. That's what we're here to do, okay? We're here to see people get saved. We're here to teach those people everything we possibly can from the Bible. And then we are here to equip people so that they can go out to train them up so they could make another disciple. So let's get there. You got one, two, and three. Here's our three points. Number one, reaching. Number two, teaching. And number three, training. These are three things that we are passionate about that we are trying to do here at this church. I'm going to tell you where we see them in the scripture. I'm going to tell you how we're trying to do them, and then you can decide if you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing here at Compass HB or not. But the first thing it says is we're supposed to baptize them, which means we need to reach them. They need to get saved. We need to reach outside of the people who are already saved to people who are not saved because one thing that we all need to believe is that there is nothing worse than not being saved by Jesus Christ. You cannot be in a more miserable condition than to not be saved by Jesus Christ. Okay? It's bad news. There's people here this morning 
who are not saved by Jesus Christ, and it is dangerous, the state of their soul right now. It is scary when you really start thinking about what that means. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's go back into the gospel of Matthew here, and let's get a glimpse into what Jesus sees when he sees a crowd of people, when he sees a room full of people. Jesus, he, he was preaching to large crowds. He was doing great miracles. Many people were talking about him. And at one part where there's a large crowd, here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, look at how Jesus responds just to seeing people, presumably even people he doesn't even personally know at this point. I mean, he knows them because he's Jesus, but he's not really met them or interacted with them. They're not really his friends. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, if you go around teaching and you're proclaiming the kingdom and you're healing diseases, man, crowds start to form. Verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Look at how many people need to be saved. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the people who will go and make disciples, they're so few. Therefore, pray earnestly, plead, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus sees a crowd of people, and it says he has compassion for them. Now, the word for compassion is very anatomical here. It's, it's a very literal word. It means that he felt it in his bowels. That's not a word we like to use, right? That's kind of gross. That's potty language, right? We, we use uh, our heart to describe our feelings, okay? But the truth is, sometimes when you've been overwhelmed with what the day has in store for you, or you've had this terrible, sinking feeling, you didn't feel that in your heart. You felt it where? In your bowels, see? You, you didn't feel good. Didn't feel right. Something was really wrong. So Jesus, he looks at the crowd and he feels pain on the inside because these people are not his disciples. These people are not saved. They're harassed. They're helpless. They're like a man beaten up on the side of the road and nobody is stopping to help them. No, everybody's just rushing on by with their busy lives and here's somebody broken down over here and nobody cares, Jesus says. He even says that the people who should go with the good news, the people, the laborers, the people who could make disciples, the people who know the gospel, even there's not enough of them to go talk to all of these people. And he says, beg that God would send out more people who want to make disciples. Beg that God would raise up churches of people that want to reach people and not just drive by people on their way to church, people who are broken down souls that need to be saved. You know, I really think that Christians are some of the cruelest people you can meet on planet Earth. I think that Christians are the meanest people in our society because we know the way of eternal life and we keep it to ourselves. We know there is salvation in Jesus Christ and no one else and we're okay with people not knowing that. You are okay with people not knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. You and I, we are passing by people all the time. 
that are broken down, harassed, and helpless, and we don't even have a plan to try to get to that person. Now, see, God started to open my eyes. I grew up a church kid, and God started to help me see there's a whole world of people out there that need Jesus that don't go to church, and that's what the church is for, to make those people disciples. And I started doing things. I started saying, hey, we got places like, like the beach is really a big place around here. Or we got places like Bellaterra, places like the Irvine Spectrum. You know, people go out and they hang out at these places. And you can do this crazy thing that they used to do way back in the day before we had all the technology. You can go to these places and you can talk to people. Like you can go and you can have a conversation with someone. And you can approach them. And you could just go tell someone the good news that Jesus is the Christ who died for their sins to save them so they could have a new life, so they could go to heaven when they die. And I'm like, let's go out in public and talk to people. And people are like, this is too radical. That sounds so pushy. That sounds so mean. You're gonna, people are shopping and you want to go talk to them? How rude, you know? That's the reaction I got from many people at our church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about church people. Why, why would you go and interrupt somebody's nice day at the beach? Well, here's why. Because they're, they're not saved. Who cares if you spend up a hundred great days at the beach if you're going to die and go to hell at the end of it? Who cares if you can buy the Irvine Spectrum out? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul, see? We've, we've totally lost what Jesus sees here in this crowd. We Christians today can't see what Jesus saw when he looked at people. We don't see people as souls. We're just like the rest of the world. We give people labels. We look at them based on the color of their skin, their gender, how old they are, if they're rich or not. We have all kind of boxes that we put people into. There's two boxes, saved people and not saved people. That's everybody. And if you're not saved then I'm concerned for you, and I should care about you, and I want to talk to you, and I want to bring you to my church so you can hear full-length sermons, and I want you to know Jesus. How bad do you want people to know Jesus Christ? Who are you ready to reach for Jesus Christ? Now, I don't know if you go on walks or if you exercise or something like that, but let's pretend that you do for a minute. Let's pretend that you have a dog or a young child and you like to go on walks, and I don't know where you would go, the beach, the park, I don't know, but let's just say you're going to go to the Bolsa Chica wetlands, okay? That's a nice little place we've got here in Huntington Beach, and so you're going to go for a walk at the Bolsa Chica wetlands, and you've got your stroller or your dog, however you want to picture yourself, right, if you're an animal person or a people person, whatever you want to be, right? And you're going on a walk, and all of a sudden, like a police officer runs up to you, and you can see there's like this big truck over there that says SWAT, see? And there's a bunch of guys rolling out the caution tape, and he says to you, we've had a bomb threat, sir. You should, you should really get out of here. You should really leave the premises right now. Like, there's a bomb threat at the Bolsa Chica Wetlands? It's like, yeah, we, this whole place is going to blow up. It's some like, it's some, like uh, realtor scheme so they can sell houses here. I don't know, but we're going to blow up the Bolsa Chica Wetlands, right? So you better, you better get out of here. There's gonna, there could be a bomb going off. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. Now you start to walk a little bit faster. You turn around. You realize, I don't want destruction. I don't want death. You turn around. You go the other way. 
You start booking it out of there. And here comes somebody with two children ready to walk down the Bolsa Chica wetlands. And their kids are like a little bit, you know, grocery store aisle behavior, you know, a little bit out of control. We've all seen it. We got a spill on aisle three. No, I don't mean the produce, right? Some kid is having a tantrum, and here they come. And you're like, oh, maybe I should tell them about the bomb. Oh, no. Well, they're kind of busy with their kids. I don't want to get involved in that. So you just keep walking, right? Then you see somebody power walking. You ever seen one of those people? Why would anyone do power walking? <laughs> it's like, what, are you training for the Olympics? What's going on here? Somebody's power walking. They've got the tight clothing. They've got buds in their ears. They look like they're busy and going somewhere. There's a bomb that's going to go off, and they're power walking. Hmm. Are you going to interrupt their power walk? Are you going to slow their roll? No, no, they're busy. Just let them pass on by. Right? Then you see some cool hipster-looking dude with his coffee in his hand, right? Tight jeans, walking around, big beard, bald head. You see this guy? He's like, what a beautiful day it is here at the Bolsa Chica Wetlands, right? And you, you're like, no, a bomb's going to go off. Like, we're all going to die, right? But no, what do you say? Oh, yeah, what a beautiful day. And you just keep on walking. You guys realize a bomb is going to go off? Do you guys realize that God is going to uncreate everything that he created? And he is going to judge this world with fire. That is what the Bible clearly teaches if you think seriously about what the Bible says at all, it says that the Bolsa Chica wetlands are going to go up like a big old lake of fire. That's what it says. And people are going to get tossed into that lake of fire. Now, if you knew somebody, a bomb was going off, if you knew somebody's house was on fire, if you knew that somebody was in a dangerous place, would you think the kind thing to do, the loving thing to do, if you cared for that person at all, would you talk to them about it? And yet people are headed towards a bomb every day. It could go off at any moment. And we just think, oh, they're busy with their kids. Oh, they're, they're going somewhere fast. Oh, that guy's too cool for me. And we just keep on moving on. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Well, that's not the heart of God. That's not what Jesus Christ feels. When he sees people, he doesn't forget about it. He's not indifferent to their condition. No, here's how Jesus Christ feels. Here's how God thinks about it says, hey, don't be deceived that the judgment hasn't come yet. And it says in verse 7, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, by the same word, the same word that created the heavens and the earth, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for, anybody with me? They're stored up for, what does it say there? Fire, okay? Uh, I, I, maybe somebody's already checking out of this sermon. Oh, this sounds like one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons. Well, if you don't want hellfire and brimstone sermons, you got to get a different book than the Bible, because the Bible says very clearly that fire is coming. I mean, that's pretty clear. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept. They're being held back almost. The, the, the fire is being held back. The heavens and earth are being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this fact, one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, i.e. he exists outside of space and time. So the Lord isn't like forgetting. He's not just taking a long time. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise to judge with fire. As some count slowness, no, God is being patient toward you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
God wants every single person to see that if I keep living in my sin, there is destruction and I need to turn around. And once you get that, that you are headed the wrong way and you make a U-turn, the goal then is to tell as many other people as you can, you're headed the wrong way, we got to turn around. That's what it's saying here. See, God has been so patient. God has been so merciful, so gracious. For 2,000 years, he is allowing people to get saved by turning from their sin and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. God has such a long fuse for sin that some people have forgotten there's a bomb at the end of it. See? And it's going to go off one day. And when it goes off, it's going to be so much worse than we could ever imagine. All of his pent-up wrath for sin will be revealed, it says. But he doesn't want people to perish. That's why he's given us till 2015. Because what does God want? God wants people to be saved. See? Do you have a heart for that? That's what church is about. Church is not about building a holy huddle. Church is about making a play for more people to get saved. That's what we do here at church. Let's get that. For reaching, we need to pray for Jesus to save. That's, that's at least how we got to start we got to pray for Jesus to save many people through our church. And if you're praying about it, you're going to talk to people about it. And if you talk to people about it, you're going to start really caring for them. You're going to start really, really loving them. And you're going to want to follow up with them. And you're going to want to get to know them. And you're going to want to bring them to church. And then if they get saved, you're not going to be done with them. That's just going to be the beginning of you investing in this person. Reaching until the person that you're reaching out to ends up here getting baptized. Man, you're out there trying to pull them in. You're out there trying to reach them for Christ. That's the idea. We need people who are committed to reaching this world. 2 Corinthians 5.11 puts it like this. Out of the fear of the Lord, because judgment is coming, we persuade men. There's a sense of urgency because people are in a state of emergency. People need to be saved now, before it's too late, before the bomb goes off. Like if you're not saved here this morning, you should be feeling like I need to do something about this. Because this is true. I'm not making this up. This is what is going to happen. And do we declare to people, is it not like, is it this passive like, hey, maybe come check out my church? Or is it like, hey, I want to communicate to you the urgency of not coming and checking out church. No, you need to get to know Jesus Christ. That's what you need. How, who did we say that to this week, this month? Is that a habit in your life of communicating that message to people. That's what we want our church to be about. And it's been exciting. I, I don't know who's been here last week if you were here or if you came on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night. We already got to do four services in one week here at this building. And after every one of those services, I saw people talking here in this room long after the service was over. And guess what they were talking about? Salvation. They were talking about where people were going to go when they died. And people right here in this room have been saved this week. They're now professing faith in Jesus Christ. Like, we're going to have to get ready to do another baptism. Like, I'm, I'm at eight different people who have said, I want to be saved this week here at our church. Now, 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 you might think, well, what a great start. Oh, that's like, what, three months worth of salvation? No, that's what we want to see happen here all the time, my friends. We want to be a church that makes disciples. That's the mission. We want to see people get saved every single Sunday. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Amen. That's what we're going for. 
Now, now we're all clapping, and yeah, this feels this is a touching moment right now. After that, after that turn and burn stuff, it's good. We're getting back to this, you know, right? But, 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 but hold on. Hold on. I've been going to church all my life. I can't say I've been to a church where people are getting saved every Sunday. I mean, it sounds nice to say. Everybody applauds. But have you been to a church where people are getting saved every single week? Where it feels like, and the Lord added to their number day by day? where it feels like God's moving among his people and revival is spreading like the church is the epicenter of something that's just rippling out, that's just going out and echoing into the community and people are getting pulled in and getting saved. Personally, I've heard tale of such thing. I would like to be a part of something like that. That's why I'm here. That's why I moved to Huntington Beach. I want to see people get saved. Is that why you're here? I hope so, my friend. I hope it is. Now, you know, here's the deal. If you do anything to help this church, you're helping people get saved. Like, everything that we do, okay, if you go clean the toilets over here, all right, then some unsaved person can use that toilet, and they can come here and hear the gospel. If you go serve in the kids' ministry, right, if you go with us and when we hand out flyers and invite people to church, if you give money, if you just even come here and cheer and be a part of it and get to know the other people, anything that you can do to help this church is helping people get saved. That's how we got to think about it. We're one big team. We're one big body. One thing I've learned about moving into a building is there's a lot of things that we have to do to make this happen, right? I mean, some of you guys are on wireless devices right now, so we have to have someone to run a network for this building, right? I mean, we couldn't even do this baptismal because it was going to fall right through the stage. Wouldn't that be just like a great day at church? All right, and now baptize you. Ah! I mean, that would, be, that would end up on YouTube, you know what I mean? Not in the good way, right? So we had to have guys. I mean, there were guys like moles burrowing under this stage yesterday. We need more wood in here. Let's fortify this, right? Then we get here this morning, and uh, it's leaking all over the stage. It's like, all right, well, how many guys does it take to figure out how to stop a leak? Well, it took us like seven or eight standing around. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I mean, I wasn't going to figure it out. That's not my gift. I'm not going to, dude, we wouldn't have had baptism today if it was up to me. You know what I mean? And it, it takes a whole group of people who have all kinds of different gifts given to them by God to come together. And the result of the body of Christ, everybody coming together, is more people getting saved. So at the basic, most basic entry level, if you just say, I'm going to get into what's going on here and find a way to be a part of it, find a way to use my gifts to serve this church, you are contributing towards more people getting saved in Huntington Beach. Okay? It's a team effort. There's no better way to see people get saved than church. Church is the best way that Jesus Christ designed for people to get saved. Maybe you think of like one guy at the pier preaching, or maybe you think like the Harvest Crusade at, at, at you know, Angel Stadium. Hey, those might be good ways to get the word out, but to actually make disciples, the best place for that is the church of Jesus Christ. It's right here where you are right now. And if you can do anything to support this church, then you're increasing the cause of the Great Commission. But I think, let's take it to another level. Go back to Matthew 28 with me, okay? That's just the idea of we want to see more people baptized. We want to see more people saved. And we'll get back to that. But if you look at Matthew 28, then it says, well, here's what we're going to do. Once we have the saved people and the baptized disciples are getting together, 
we're going to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that's why you can tell here at Compass Bible Church, even the fact that that's our name, teaching the Bible is going to be our game. We are going to always emphasize, hey, if you come to one of our events, bring your Bible because we're going to open it up and we're going to talk about it. And I would say that you can't really make disciples without teaching the Bible. So if I'm making a checklist on what's important for a church, and the main thing I'm looking for is what is this church doing to make disciples? Like I would even go up to it. If you're ever checking out a church, go up to the pastor. Just ask him that, point blank. What is your church doing to make disciples? If he doesn't have a good answer for that, don't go to that church. The second thing right under that would be, how's this church doing at teaching the Bible? Do they teach the word at this church? How do they teach it? Do they kind of pick the topics that they want to uh, pick? Do they work through it verse by verse? Are the sermons short? Are the sermons long? Do you feel like you're learning things you don't know? Do you feel like you're hearing the same thing every time? How do they teach the Bible at that church? Hopefully they'll do it like 2 Timothy 4 says. Turn over there with me, everybody. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at this. Here's a command to a guy, a young guy like myself, who's going to be a, a pastor. And here's his, his mentor, Paul, discipling Timothy. This is the last letter that Paul's going to write before he dies for Jesus. And he wants to make a strong impression on his son in the faith, Timothy. And this is how he, ends the, how he starts the last chapter Paul's going to write of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now, that's pretty serious presence right there. It's like basically, I charge you in heaven. Like I'm saying this in heaven. That's how serious it is. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Just remember what's at stake here. By his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, what does it say there? Wander off into myths, stories. What do you think? Would America rather hear a good sermon or a good story, right? Good day at church. Good day watching football, right? Especially today, you know? Good day hearing somebody preach or maybe going and seeing a movie. What would America pick? Is preaching in season or out of season right now? It's out of season. And here's why. Preaching the word, what God really says, doesn't feel good. We don't do things that don't feel good in America. We don't like bad vibes. If it's not chill, then we're not going to do it, especially here in Huntington Beach, right? But notice the words that it says. Somebody who's really preaching the word, there in verse 2, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Then it gives three other words. Check these out. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. None of those even come close to feeling good, do they? We don't even use those words. Those aren't even friendly words. Hey, man, how was your day yesterday? Oh, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, what happened? I got rebuked. It was, dude, this guy just loved me, and he full-on rebuked me for my sin. It was so great. I'm, like, totally repenting of that now. Yeah. What was it like at small groups the other day? How, how was that? Oh, it was excellent. Oh, really? What was so great about it? Oh, this one guy just went on a rant, and he exhorted us 
He was like, every time we show up here, you guys still aren't reading your Bibles. What's your problem? And I was like, yeah, that was good. I liked it. See, that doesn't sound like America. We don't like people telling us we're wrong. See? We don't like people saying something needs to change in our life. Doesn't feel comfortable. Why would we do it? That's how preaching is, though. That's how God designed it to work. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts you. It compares this book to a sword. How does a sword feel? Chill? Good vibes from the sword cutting into your flesh? See? It, no, it hurts. Man, I tell you what, if this is a good church and you come here and we do what we're supposed to do, you're going to leave here in pain sometimes. Pain. Blessed pain that will cause you to turn from your sin and find life in Jesus Christ. Pain that will bring real relief and satisfaction of your soul. That's what preaching does. You can go to a church for five weeks and feel comfortable every week. Probably not a good church. Probably not a church you want to go to. I can't, I don't know. It's hard for me to read five passages in a row in the Bible without feeling a little uncomfortable at some point. They're really preaching what the word, there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff in this book. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? A lot of uncomfortable stuff. Whoa, I just said that out loud. Whoa. All right, here we go. We're talking about that now. Just like you, myself, I, I, there are things that I wish people wouldn't bring up because I don't really want to talk about. You ever feel like that? But that's what the Lord says. That's what the good book says, and that's what I'm going to say. See, See we got to be all about the teaching. we got to want to know what Jesus commands us. we got to want to know so we can go and do it. So for the teaching, point number two, we need to listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says. And when I say listen here, I don't mean listen like you listen. I mean listen like you want your kids to listen. You notice how you have a higher standard of listening for your kids? Because when you say something to your children, you don't just want those sound waves to travel into their earlobe and then to receive your, your, your message. You want to light a fire under those kids and get them to do something. You say take out the trash. You have this crazy thought that the trash might actually go out after you say that, right? I mean, that's the thing. When you, when you are a person in authority as a parent and you know your children are supposed to obey you and you speak in your house the words to the children, oh, how dare they not listen to me. And yet when we come to God's house, we think listening is just hearing words. But where's the obedience? Where's the doing of it? Isn't that what God wants? Go to First Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the book we, we have been going through. We're going to get back to chapter 3 next week. We took a break right between chapter 2 and chapter 3 to move into this building. But if you go to First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it holds up the example of these Thessalonians and how they receive the word. And Paul is so thankful for these people because of how they listened to his teaching. And it says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you, when you heard it, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So you heard the words, and it gives these, these you received it. 
you accepted it. The idea here is like you welcomed it in, like you fully digested it and it became a part of you and then it energized you, it worked in you. Like the word came and it gave you life and you went out and you live that life in Jesus Christ. You didn't just hear it and then mull over it and think, oh, I wonder if there'll be any good jokes next Sunday. No, you did it between the Sundays. See, That's the idea. These people, they welcomed it in and it fired it up. And it led to action. Good preaching is always a call to action. If you don't feel like you're supposed to do something or think something or feel something after a sermon, then it wasn't a good sermon. It's supposed to stir you up. It's supposed to provoke you, even maybe in an unpleasant way. That's what Bible teaching does, right? I mean, did everybody receive the teaching of John the Baptist? Was everybody like, oh, yeah, John the Baptist, I love that guy touchy-feely. How about Jesus' teaching? Was everybody just like, oh, man, I could just sit here and listen to him all day. Is that, is that how people were? No, they were offended. Many times the crowd deserted him. What about the Apostle Paul? What about Peter? Did everybody love their teaching? These guys both ended up dead for Jesus Christ because people hated what they had to say. And we have this idea that here in America, we're going to preach the Bible and everybody's going to like it and it's going to be accepted. No, a good church is going to have people that walk out of the church. See? A good church is going to say things that this book says that don't go with what Americans think right now. And it's going to raise a ruckus. That's what preaching really does. And are you ready to be a part of that? Because see, I'll say it, I, I hope that I'm showing you, I'll say what this book says. That's my one goal in being up here. But here's how church works. We're going to go to small groups, some of us anyways, are going to go to small groups this week. And there's going to be 10, 12 people sitting around. And we're going to get to eventually when we bring up, okay, let's talk about that sermon, and here's question number one, and here's what the pastor said. And then basically in that small group, if we're going to get honest, it's kind of a free-for-all is what happens. And now everybody gets to basically say what they think about the scripture. And some people are going to disagree with the pastor at a small group of that same church. Anybody ever been to small groups before? Have you ever seen this happen? Right? Pastor says one thing and now people in the small group are like, well, I know he says we should love one another, but who really does that? I mean, I'm just trying to be nice and make it through the day. I mean, people say stuff like that. This whole church is a family thing that we keep harping on here at Compass HB. Man, there's no way I could love those people at church like my family. I'm not, I'm not buying that. These are things that have been said at our church. Now, who's going to stand up in that small group and say what the Scripture says? See? Who's going to stand up and say, this is what the Bible says right here? And you might actually get a little heat. It might get interesting there at your small group. That's how we build the church. How many people in this room are ready to stand by every word in this book? That's the church of Jesus Christ right there. Who's ready to stand up? Who's ready to hold to it? So we're going to teach it every Sunday here. And then we have these things called home fellowship groups. If you'll open up your bulletin there, you'll see we, we're busting them out this week. First, first week of doing them here in the new building. And for you to really consider yourself a part of Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach, we are so thankful that you would come here to this service but really, we think that not only should your chair be face forward, hearing the preaching of the word, we think our chairs should get face to face as well. 
And we really think that we have to talk about how we're going to apply the word in our life, not just that we heard it, but how we're going to do it, like it says in James 1, We don't want anybody coming here hearing the Bible and being deceived into thinking that you know the Bible. No, you know that you know the Bible when you do what it says. And so we want to get into a group of 10, 12, 14 people who can really know you. I was meeting with a guy this week. He lives here. He does, he's not a Christian, but he's interested in coming to church because he knows his life needs something. And he said to me, you know, it's really tough because I find that I, I can't really have conversations with people. It's so hard for me to really talk to people in Orange County right now. Every day I wake up and I feel like I really want to have a conversation with someone, and I don't have it. And I say, that's terrible. You can have that conversation here at church. We want to be a group that really knows one another so that I can say with some level of authority, some level of care and concern, I know your life and I can speak into your life. And that happens at these home fellowship groups. So if you're saying, hey, I want to be a part of Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach, we're so happy to have you. Praise the Lord. And how you can step out on that is become a part of one of these home fellowship groups where we make sure the teaching meets real life. There's no point in knowing the Bible if it doesn't change how you live. That's the kind of teaching we're about. Now go back to Matthew 28 because we, we got a third one here. Matthew chapter 28. We got the baptizing. We want to see people get saved. That means we got to care about them. We got to get out there. We got the teaching. That's what we're going to be doing in here, building people up, break into small groups and talk about it. But then it says, go, therefore. So when we get down to the going, okay, we, we say, hey, let's go talk to people about Jesus, one thing that I have encountered is a lot of Christians today, and you might be one of them, and I'm, I'm not judging you, I'm just saying how it is, that there are a lot of Christians today who don't feel comfortable, don't feel equipped, prepared, trained to talk to other people about Jesus Christ. They would, they would feel comfortable maybe bringing somebody to church, and that's big. I'm not going to downplay that. If you bring somebody to church, the Word will talk to them. God will talk to them. I mean, that's how churches grow. Churches grow by word of mouth. We, are, we already heard that right here, right? How did Alan get here? Well, he got here because the Winslows moved in next door and invited him, and he didn't want to make things awkward with his new neighbors. That's how he got here, right? See, we're so afraid of making it awkward. That's why we don't have people getting baptized, because we don't want to make it awkward. But praise God, the Winslows made it awkward, and Alan got baptized today. So, hey, if you're feeling like, I don't know how to talk to people, well, you can just tell them what's going on and invite them to come and see for themselves. That's at least something you can do. But really, is that a good long-term strategy for your life? If you're going to be a Christian, do you want to live afraid to talk about Jesus? That doesn't make sense. And so what we're committed to doing here at this church is if you're saying, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus, but I want to, we will train you how to talk to people about Jesus Christ. We've got multiple ways that we'll do this. But, but we've got to first all agree that every single Christian person is called to make disciples, okay? Now, this is the Great Commission. You could write down other versions of the Great Commission. One is in Luke 24, you want to write that down. At the end of Luke 24, it says that we should go into the whole world and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's how Luke 24 puts the Great Commission. You could also write down Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. So I, I think it's pretty clear. Go and make disciples. Preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. Be witnesses. Every Christian is supposed to be spreading the message, not just the pastors, not just the, the ushers, or whatever we would say are the committed people. All of us are called to do this. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Go back earlier when Jesus called his own disciples. Jesus didn't set up some kind of tier among the disciples. Everybody who's a disciple is called to make more disciples. And so from the very beginning, when he calls the disciples, when they're just getting to know each other, here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Okay, now Peter's going to end up being a big deal guy. Andrew, his brother. They're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you, what does it say there, my friends? Fishers of men. You're fishermen. Let's use an analogy here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I know a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Because I follow Jesus. Great. Praise the Lord. But here's what Jesus promises to do to his disciples who follow them. He makes them fishers of men. See, at some point, if you're a brand new Christian and you're just getting excited about running for Jesus, praise the Lord. But at some point, if your Christianity doesn't become about other people becoming Christians, you won't even stay a Christian yourself. If Christianity is not for you, Christianity is for God's glory to lift high the name of Jesus Christ as he saves many people. We're just, we're just a little conduit that God's using. He's saving me, turning me around from the destruction for the purpose of me passing it on. And when Christians don't pass on their fire for Jesus Christ, they burn out for Jesus Christ. That's what happens. If it's all about you growing, you will lose interest in yourself. If it's about other people, you will stay on fire for Jesus Christ till the day that you die. That's how it works. So who are you trying to get trained for? Who are you trying to get equipped for? Do you have some idea in your mind that I want to be a fisher of men, so I'm going to need bait, and I'm going to need to know where the fish go, and I'm going to need to throw out my line. And fishing, I don't really like fishing. Personally, I don't know if anybody here does, but every year the pastors at our old church compass Bible church, there's this one guy, crazy guy named Pete Lazushenkov down there, and he goes on these fishing trips where they go out like into the middle of the ocean, and they try to catch fish, and it's like, don't you guys get seasick out there? It's like, oh yeah, don't worry about it, you just slap a patch on, you're fine. What? We're slapping patches on? What is that? Right? Don't worry about it. Just come with us. I'm like, well, what do you guys do? We just sit on the boat. Do you guys catch fish? Hopefully. I, I mean, they've come back times. They've barely caught anything. It's like two days of your life wasted. <laughs> right? I mean, I understand this. It's like there's all this, like, language. We want to get bloody decks. We want to go find the patty. And, you know, they have, like, ways that they pose for the pictures. You've seen the pictures on Facebook, right? It's like, hold the fish out like this, smile like this. They got this whole science to fishing. See? And it seems like a lot of work, and sometimes you catch nothing. Welcome to being a Christian, my friends. That's what it is. 
It's a lot of work. It's a science. It's a skill. It's something you can start to develop, something you can start to learn. You can start to notice what to look for in people. You can start to find ways to strike up conversations. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can say to somebody is, hey, that's a nice dog you got there. And boom, now you're into a conversation with them. Next thing you know, you're talking about Jesus. Next thing you know, they're getting baptized, see? But that's a skill. Have you even tried to learn that skill? Is that something that you pray about? Is that something you you develop in your life? Have you said, like, hey, 2015, new year, new opportunity. What do I want to see God do in my life this year? Here's one thing I want to do. I want to catch a fish this year. That's what I want to do. I mean, who here is even trying to catch a fish? Let's get that down for training. Go and catch a fish. That should be a goal. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, your goal is to catch somebody else, to get them on the line, to start reeling them in, and help them love Jesus like you love Jesus Christ. And if you're like, well, this sounds too intimidating. I could never do this. Well, hey, let's take it one step at a time. First step is, can you invite people to church? That's a first step, right? But if you want to start having the full-blown conversation that could lead to salvation, if you look there in your bulletin, every Saturday at 9 o'clock, I will be here at this church, and I will train you how to have this conversation if you don't know how to do it. I'll be here at 9 o'clock. We'll have a class. At 10 o'clock, we'll turn on the ice cream truck music, and we'll hit the neighborhood, and we'll start talking to people. We did it yesterday. It's awesome. If you've never done something like that, that's not crazy Christian behavior. That's what Christians do. We go fishing. We go soul fishing. I remember, I mean, I have a great benefit that I moved to Huntington Beach for the purpose of doing this church. Like, I don't think of Huntington Beach any other way. I think I came here once. I went to the pier with my wife on an anniversary. That was the only interest I ever had in Huntington Beach until I find out we were going to plant a church of Jesus Christ here, and then it became all I could think about. And I can still remember the first day that I finished what I was doing at our old church, and I was here, and it was like, today's my first day in Huntington Beach. Man, this is exciting. What am I going to do? Right? I, and uh, I was praying. I was like, I'm going to start by praying. And I got this call like, yeah, turns out we need a conditional use permit to meet at Marina High School, and we don't have that, and that's a big problem. You better get yourself down to City Hall right now. And I'm like, Lord, I came here to see people get saved, and I'm going to City Hall, right? It's totally, you, you don't want to go to City Hall, do you? I mean, I was totally deflated. I was like, no, this is like the first day of the Great Revival. It doesn't happen at City Hall, right? I'm, I'm going to go fill out some paperwork, pay a fee. What's going on here? And I'm going to City Hall because we want to do what, what our governing authorities tell us to do. And I'm walking in there, and I park at City Hall, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden, I look up, and the whole wall of the building in front of me looks like this. This is a mural that's massive. Do we have that picture? Is it coming up here? Because I kind of built it up. There it is. That's a picture that I took. That is a massive mural right outside of City Hall. If you drive down Main with Huntington Beach High on this side and you look to the left, you might see, I, I would barely go up to the fish. That's how big this mural is. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be that bird right there. I want to swoop on in. I want to get a fish and I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus Christ. That's my life story right there. That's what I'm here to do. Like when I die, that's what's going to matter about my life is did I catch any fish for Jesus Christ? 
Did he make me a fisher of men? Like that's my whole life pursuit. And I understand you might not be a full-time pastor and you might have other things that God has called you to do, other things that you're gifted in, but are you about the great commission of making disciples? Could you have a conversation with someone today where they could become a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you can't and you're a Christian, that should bother you. You should want to learn more. You should want to grow. You should do partners with somebody and ask your partner to teach you. Come on Saturday. I will teach you. And if you can have a conversation with someone, you know the gospel. You could walk them down the path. You could lead someone today to Jesus Christ out of the darkness and into the light, from death to life, old to new. They could be a fish lost in the sea, and you could rescue them out of the fire and into the glories of heaven. What else would you want to do with your life? What else would you want to do with a Sunday than talk to someone? And see God save someone right in front of you. We're far too easily amused with football and movies. I'm not dissing those things, but it's not as exciting as church, as the making of disciples, as seeing people get saved. Who have you led to Christ? On the day that you die, when you stand before the Lord, who will name your name that you led them to Christ? How many fish are you going to catch with your life. This is the mission that Jesus has given us. This is the mission of our church. I pray, my friend, that this is your mission. Let me pray for you right now. God, I thank you so much that we could have today with the clarity of seeing people that you've saved and, and the clear mission that you have given us. And God, I want to confess on behalf of myself, on behalf of our church, and even on behalf of Christians in America, that, God, we have not taken this mission that you've given us as seriously as it demands. We are not fired up about the commands of Jesus Christ like we should be. Our heart does not break for the person that we're going to order lunch from like it should. And, God, we pray that you'll stir us up. We pray that we would be a church that would really fulfill this mission that you've given us, God, that we would be a church where people would get saved every Sunday. It would seem like somebody's always seeing that destruction is coming and turning around and loving Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would make us those group of people. I pray that you'll even put it on people's hearts right now after they hear this sermon. God, I know there's people who know they're not saved right now. Turn them around today. God, I know there's people who, who are new Christians, but they don't know how to talk to someone. Let them want to learn Put a fire in their, in their heart to lead someone to Christ. God, bring people. Maybe somebody's just visiting today, and through this message, you're going to bring them into our church, and they're going to unite with us, and we're going to strive side by side for the gospel in Huntington Beach. God, we, we ask that you would catch many fish. Catch many fish here, God. Let Huntington Beach be known, not for the pier, not for the beach, but for the great harvest of souls, God. Send out more laborers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.